0: Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report. In this daily editorial, we are bringing on a new company to the show. Now, it's one that we have talked about in prior interviews. The company is called Sailfish Royalty, traded on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FISH, and on the OTCQX under the symbol SROYF. We are chatting with the VP of Corporate Development, Paolo Lostrito, Now, Paolo, this is the first time having you on the show, so we do wanna really keep this high level to bring everybody up to speed on the overall strategy here at Sailfish and also cover some of the key royalties, as well as the fact that this company already has declared and is paying a dividend to shareholders. Before we get into some of the actual assets here, Paolo, can you please uh, just give us a general overview of how Sailfish royalty came into existence? How did this company get formed?
1: Thank you very much for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners. The genesis of Sailfish is it was, it was spun out of Marlin Gold Mining uh, back in the day, which was the predecessor to what is now today Mako Mining. The current standing of Sailfish, is, in my humble opinion, is that we've now reached exit velocity now that we have a cash-flowing asset But more importantly, we have a pipeline of growth that we think is not fully recognized by the market.
0: Paolo, let's start talking about some of the assets, especially this cash-flowing royalty, San Albino. This is what I have labeled as a co-flagship for the company. The company has a gold stream equivalent to a 3% NSR on this mine. Take us through some of the metrics around this, and actually, first and foremost, how you came to acquire again the san albino royalty
1: so the san albino royalty it's a net three percent nsr that was originally formed as a function of having an agreement with what was the pre- predecessor golden rain as a result of the merger between marlin and golden rain mako was formed but also this royalty was restructured the mine is the highest grade open pit gold mine in the world it operates in Nicaragua. They just declared commercial production earlier this year. They're producing anywhere between forty and fifty thousand ounces a year at grades between call it eight and ten grams a ton. So it generates a tremendous amount of cash flow and as a result it flows through to sailfish and helps support our four percent dividend yield.
2: Well, Paulo, we've had Akiba on the show a number of times with Mako, and we've been watching the progress there. But just for people that are not familiar with the project, a lot of people at first glance are impressed by it being the highest grade open pit operation on the planet. But it's got that smaller reserve and a shorter mine life right now. But I don't think a lot of people realize the massive exploration upside at that project. So since you're familiar with San Albino so well, could you walk us through what you see as the blue sky side of San Albino moving forward?
1: Absolutely. So I actually went to visit the mine about two years ago. And what most people don't realize is that this is a mesothermal system. It's a lot like the Archean gold systems that we have in Canada, whereby you can mine them to great depths and the gold still runs. So an example of that would be Kirkland Lake gold that's mined below 6,500 feet. The uniqueness of San Albino is, is that Load gold system, that mesothermal system has actually been tilted on its side. So it's conducive to an open pit operation. So, whilst the current resource is less than half a million ounces at the moment, there's no doubt that with the refocus that Mako has on expiration, that that resource should grow in time. And that should fuel uh, plans that the company has also for. A potential for operation expansion. They're talking about going from current 500 tons a day to a thousand tons a day. And that obviously directly flows through to sailfish shareholders in the form of cash flow growth.
2: Yeah, Paolo, I was going to ask you about that. So if Mako Mining does increase their mill throughput from the 500 tons per day up to the target of 1000 tons per day over the next year or two, obviously that's going to be more production, but that should really help on their costs and their margins and economics of the project. So one would think they'd be able to put more into the project, work on expansion. So what could that ultimately mean for people that hold selfish royalty?
1: In this instance, it's a uh, net smelter return royalty or an NSR. It's effectively a percentage right off the top in terms of revenue. But in this instance, because you're doubling the throughput and therefore doubling the production, it effectively doubles our cash flow. So we don't have cost exposure. But what we do like about the San Albino royalty is that the operator, because they're generating so much cash, will be refocused, and that's starting to happen right now, on expiration. And So given their land package and the strike extent and the fact that there's so many gold showings throughout that land package... We're very confident that the expiration potential on this asset uh, will bear fruit over the course of the next, call it 10, 20 years. And so that, that's going to be a strong, stable source of cash flow for Sailfish and Sailfish shareholders.
0: So just even outside of the growth in terms of the exploration, that is obviously what investors are looking at and will help you guys out. What are some of the cash flow estimates or revenue estimates coming out of just this royalty, say, into next year?
1: So there's no coverage of MAKO at this time. I would imagine that that'll change as people start to realize the opportunity to cover the name So, I mean, these are not official numbers, but based on uh, what I understand is is public guidance is that if you do the math at 500 tons a day and call it an average grade of 8 grams a ton, that you're looking anywhere between 40 and 50,000 ounces of production per year. If they then move to 1,000 tons a day, and I think that that's going to be a function of the drilling and the resource estimate that they're uh, going to generate as a result of that drilling, that they're probably looking to go to a thousand tons a day. My understanding is is that the the current mine is in and around the 18 month mark, but I could be wrong in terms of the timing. It could be sooner.
2: Well, let's transition over to one of the other key assets of the company. And that's really the Spring Valley Royalties. You know, you have the Spring Valley Royalty and, and the Moonlight Royalty, they're kind of grouped together. These are based on a large 4 million ounce resource in Nevada. And this is something that currently Waterton holds. I'm guessing that they're probably looking for an operator to take this over down the road. But just speak to how this is a cornerstone asset and explain. You have a couple different NSRs on this at different parts of the project. So just walk us through how this whole royalty package works at the Spring Valley Gold Project. Yeah, so this is
1: definitely a cornerstone asset. Anytime that you have a NSR anywhere from two to 3% NSR on an asset that has nearly 5 million ounces in a high-grade heap leach in the continental US, for that matter, that is a crown jewel asset. And the reason why the market isn't really valuing that asset properly is because it's in the hands, as you mentioned, of a private equity group. So it's not like they're actually publicly disclosing what the production looks like, what the timelines for production, and what that revenue would look like. But in our mind's eye, this type of asset could easily, in the hands of a capable operator, be capable of producing gold anywhere from 200 to 250,000 ounces a year. And so having an NSR on that property package would generate a significant amount of cash flow as high as $10 million a year. Now, that being said, we'd we'll have to wait for official estimates once they become available into the public domain. So that's part of the reason why the market isn't fully appreciating this asset base. Our understanding is, is that Waterton is looking to monetize that asset. Uh, and if that is the case, once it's in, a, in the hands of a public company, whether it be a barrack or whomever, then you're going to be able to see those engineering documents start to come out and enter the public domain. And that should translate to people recognizing the value of this asset.
0: So that really sounds like what investors should be waiting on then. hey, Some news breaking on this project of maybe a takeover or some way of this project being brought into a public company where a bit more disclosure is needed. Is that fair, Paolo?
1: Yeah, that, that there is, is going to be the catalyst in my humble opinion, to unlock the value of the royalties that we own on the Spring Valley asset, I know that uh, one of the analysts that covers Cisco actually did a, a calculation on what they think the Cisco equivalent of the uh, the Spring Valley royalties, because they have the exact mirror set of royalties that we do, and I believe that analyst has a value of about 85 to 90 million dollars. So it's nearly our entire market cap.
2: Well, Paolo, I really appreciate you sharing what that Spring Valley royalty could be worth based on what the analyst figured out on the Osisco side of the fence on their mirror royalties at Spring Valley. The other thing that's interesting to note is that Osisco Gold Royalties really built their whole platform off the NSR they had at Canadian Malartic, which is a world-class mine with Yamana and Agnico Eagle in a JV as solid operators. So it just goes to show what could happen to Spring Valley with four or five million ounces of gold and probably a lot more there to find once a competent operator takes it over from Waterton. Just maybe speak to how this plays into the power of the royalty business model and how acquiring these net smelter royalties at an earlier stage where the value is not obvious can really daylight a lot of value down the road for investors.
1: Yeah. And it's important to highlight that, you know, royalty companies have the benefit of not having the risk profile that the underlying operator is exposed to in terms of capital risk and in terms of operating risk. Because it's a royalty that is kind of associated with the revenue and not associated with profit, it really becomes a great way to, to play the space but also it's a function of being able to grow with the asset without having to put capital into the asset. So it, it, is, a, it is a great vehicle, and that's been demonstrated by some of the other royalty companies and how they've performed.
0: All right, Paolo, we should also cover that there are about three other royalties that the company holds as well. These are a bit more exploration-focused. Do you want to give just a quick little update on those royalties in terms of how they fit into the general strategy here for Sailfish?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the flagship assets we've talked to, but in addition to those flagship assets, the company also has exposure to La Cigara, which is a 1% NSR. And in addition to that, we have the El Compas royalty, which is effectively um, more towards the development assets, 1.5% NSR. It was a recently producing uh, silver and gold mine. But the fact of the matter is, is that those are assets that are nice to have, but don't move the needle like Spring Valley or San Albedo at this time. That may change as people do exploration on those properties and move those projects forward.
0: All right, let's also talk about the team then here, Paolo, because the team includes yourself, VP Corporate Development. There's also Cesar Gonzalez. He is the co-founder and CEO. And Akiba Leesman, he is the co-founder and executive chairman. Bring us up to date on just a little bit of background on all three of you, please.
1: Okay, so Akiba is engineer. Most of his career, though, is on the capital market side of things. He's worked for a number of private equity firms on Wall Street, he serves on a number of boards, and he currently serves as our chairman. And then Caesar is uh, also a financial guru, as I like to say. He serves on a number of boards. He's the chairman of Bonterra, but a you know, very smart businessman, knows how to play the long game. Myself, I'm a geological and mineral engineer, undergrad in rock mechanics. I've worked in operations for a number of years at the beginning of my career before moving to finance. I was an equity analyst for a number of years for a few of the Canadian banks. And um, some of your listeners may remember me when I used to cover a few names like Kirkland Lake Gold and Lakeshore back in 2004, uh, Victoria Gold, Remarco, and a few others. So um, over the last call it six years, I've been doing more banking behind the scenes. And in fact, part of the group that sold the token Insigno royalty to Sailfish that helped actually uh, create Sailfish back in the day.
0: Let's talk also about balance sheet then here. I, I see that the company has no debt, but let's talk about the cash component too. Where does the company sit in terms of available capital?
1: Yeah, so we have nearly $4 million in cash. Uh, we also have a loan receivable that's uh, about four million dollars. That loan is a, a gold loan that should generate a return of at current gold prices of about 10%. So that's pretty good uh, return on capital. We're paying a 4% dividend yield. I mentioned no debt. We're generating about two to three million dollars a year in free cash flow, and that is set to grow with the expansion of San Albino. But as mentioned before, we've got amazing leverage to what Spring Valley might look like once it goes public.
0: All right. One more quick question from me then comes over to two-share structure. We should outline this outstanding, about 73 million shares on a fully diluted basis, just over 78 million. Take us through some of the key and large shareholders, please, Paolo.
1: Yeah, so the largest shareholder is kind of the principal backer. And that's Wexford, which is a private equity group out of Connecticut, where both Caesar and Akiba used to work for. There is several large shareholders based in the U.S. that are also, you know, quite successful investors. And so they're uh, investing in Sailfish because of its yield and its leverage to gold. Important to highlight, though, I forgot to mention this earlier, that earlier this year we announced a binding LOI to create a sister company called Swordfish Silver. And so it's basically a three-way deal where we're, whereby we're taking Gavilanus, which is an asset that is owned by Sailfish, marrying it with an asset that is in Arizona called Commonwealth to create a new vehicle that I think has got some, some tremendous exploration potential.
2: Yeah, Paolo. I'm glad you brought that up because I've been following that transaction with interest as have others. So it's nice that you had a spin out to create even more value for shareholders. And that's really the last question as we wrap up is how will you continue to build value for shareholders through things like the dividend or share buybacks or you know, new acquisitions? Where do you see the value coming from as you continue to grow and move forward?
1: Yeah so I would say that we're a nimble group that we're not going to do a transaction for transactions' sake. We're big shareholders, so we're going to do what's right for the shareholders. We're going to look at our dividend. We're going to look at share buybacks. We're going to look at being opportunistic on bids. We've, uh, we've bid on two assets here in the Americas in the last little bit. We're continuing to work on the swordfish spin-out, which we think was going to crystallize a tremendous amount of value for Sailfish shareholders as that gets dividended out to them. So there's a lot going on in the company. And what I would say is, is that because we're shareholders, one, we're going to focus on doing what's right and to maximize the return and minimize the risk. Our focus is to make money.
0: That's what we like to hear, Balo. Go out there, make some money and return it to shareholders. Even better. If anybody has any follow-up questions for Paolo regarding anything going on at Sailfish Royalty, please email us either fleck at kereport.com or shad at kereport.com. We will get those addressed for you. We'll also follow up on the back of some more news. And in full disclosure, shad is a shareholder of Sailfish Royalty. Paolo, really appreciate the update today. We'll be having you back on the show as more news breaks and to address any questions. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you for having me.